Thank you, Barb. I read a um, social media post this week. It's a direct quote. I am a moral person. I hope that President Trump dies. Interesting perspective on morality, isn't it? Hmm. We have a lot of work to do as a church, don't we? A lot of work in this culture. We're in a series, um, Why Would We Want To? And today it's on Why Would We Want To Forgive? And it's a subspecies, a sub part of the series that we've been doing all summer, a different kind of faith. You see, the basic premise is that God has offered us something really wonderful. He reaches down and gives us a gift and invites us into a relationship with him. And that gift is to be shared. And forgiveness is one of those gifts. So why would we want to forgive? I have to admit, it caused my heart to stop. I struggle with emotions just like you do. Um, I don't think I would wish on my worst enemy that they would die because of these things. If the Lord loves every person and his desires, every person will come to know him. That means that every human has dignity. Why on earth would we wish that? That's a sign of how far we've gone in our morality. It's interesting. Some of you know that I do Taekwondo. And so for my last test, I had to write a paper. So one of the things I did was I traced uh, martial arts back to the 6th century BC to show that uh, at no point did they ever define what morality is. They all started that we need a moral base, but nobody said what it was. And uh, I quoted recently a martial arts master who was charged and pled guilty to multiple sexual assault counts on eight-year-old girls. That's what happens. Devastation happens without morality. You see, one of the great gifts of Christianity, Christianity is often known for its religiosity, its rules, but they miss the whole point. One of the great gifts of Christianity is we bring to the world scene a morality that stabilizes the world. Forgiveness is one aspect of that. Last week we talked about repentance. Why would we want to have a, a repentant heart? Why would we want to? Because it softens the heart. And see, when you combine repentance with forgiveness, you know what results? Reconciliation. That's the result. You have to have both for reconciliation. But there's more reasons to want to have a forgiving heart than simply reconciliation. That's a side effect. And that's a good one. Just remember that as Christians, we are so very different than every other religion and philosophy. There's no way I can overstate that. In all of my years of study, and there's a lot now, I can't find uh, any way to say that more clearly than we are distinctly different from every other religion in the world. There is no other religion that practices or believes or teaches that there is a forgiving God. There's not one. You see, we have the corner on the market on truth. We believe that. And uh, the Old Testament is filled with this language of forgiveness and the stories of forgiveness. They're all over. Um, one of the greatest ones I'm going to read to you is Genesis out of Genesis chapter 50. You know the story of Joseph as a very young man, probably a teenager. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. They're jealous of him. So decades go by, and he's in Egypt, and they think he's long dead. And they... Um, he rises to the top. 
He's uh, mis- he's charged inappropriately along the way and accused of things he didn't do, ends up in jail. But the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is good. And you're going to hear me say that. We have 29 days till the election. And what I desire is that all of us have a heart to walk into this. Because on uh, Tuesday, November 3rd, most of us will vote. On Wednesday, November 4th, somebody's going to be disappointed here. And so for those of you that are disappointed, I want to provide you some encouragement, some confidence, some care that the Lord is sovereign. We'll get into this more and more. For those of you that are happy and victorious, I want you to remember that the Lord is sovereign. And so we have all the reason in the world to learn these principles of how we are different and unique so that we can remain unified as a church so that we can love all these people out here that are frightened. That's why we're spending these six Sundays talking about why would we want to. So today, why would we want to forgive? So the story of Joseph, many years later, he's risen up to uh, be second only to Pharaoh. And he's in charge of the uh, all the grain and agriculture stuff. And there's a world famine and everybody comes and his brothers come. And uh, they don't recognize him. But he finally reveals himself to them that he's the long lost brother that they sold into slavery. Boy, if anyone ever had a cause for vengeance or anger, it would be Joseph, wouldn't it? To be sold into slavery and pretty much spend most of your life in slavery and then in prison for something you didn't do. And then to see your brothers and you have the power and you have the authority to end their life. Second only to Pharaoh. And here's what he says. This is at the very end, after uh, Joseph's father had died. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. We don't know if this is true or if they're making this up because we don't have a record of him ever saying this. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph got angry. Oh, no, wait, that's not what it says. Joseph was discouraged. Oh, no, that's not it either. Joseph was afraid. No, it says Joseph wept. There's that heart we talked about last week, that soft heart. Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw he. And threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. See, there's a little bit of repentance. They're now begging for their lives. They know the authority and the power that he has. Here's what he says to them. Do not be afraid. That is all throughout the Bible. Moses says it. Jesus says it. All the great, lead, all the great people in the Bible say this. Don't be afraid. Why? Am I in the place of God? Is that a great question? Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. So he's telling him the truth. I know what you did. I know what you were trying to do. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done through the saving of many lives. Because he's in a position to save worldwide lives. Egypt at this time was the only superpower in the world. And so he is able to save lives from all these poor countries that are coming to him. So then don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid. He says it a second time. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them, he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He spoke kindly to them. Boy, we're at a place in our history. I don't have to tell you, you already know it. A place in our history where we are fractured and divided as much as I've ever seen. I don't know if it was like this when I was a boy. We just didn't have social media. I don't know that. But I can tell you what, with social media, it's so obvious. We are fractured as a nation. We are hurting. The answer is not to vote in the right president. The answer is that we as a church fulfill our mission to love one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, and show the world what truth really looks like. We have an opportunity, unprecedented opportunity, right now, of all the times that I can remember, to show the world what it really means to serve the one true living God because God loves every single human. He desires that everyone be saved. Everyone. And we have an unprecedented opportunity, unprecedented. This whole idea of forgiveness in the Old Testament is uh, it's very interesting because it changes. It, it modifies a little bit as you move into the New Testament. But it's based on the idea that if we obey God, he will forgive us. And if we don't, he will punish us. Okay. You may remember last week when I said that they didn't quite understand this, but the prophets explained it. They just didn't get it. Every time God steps in with a curse or punishment or whatever, he does it for the purpose of causing people to repent. He's not some just God up there. You know, I've asked several people this question. When you think of God, do you think of him as as some, you know, evil eye in the sky just waiting for you to trip up. Yeah, gotcha. Is that how you think of him? Or do you think of him as the one true living God who cares about every single one of you and every single one of them? Every single person. He created you for joy and he's trying to get you there. And so for non-believers, he's trying to lure them. He's trying to draw them in so that he can demonstrate. That's why Solomon prayed at the prayer of dedication of the temple. When the foreigner comes, because they will hear of your great name, listen to their prayers and answer them so that they will know that you are the one true God. You see, that's the God that we serve. He's not a God waiting for you to trip up. Even for you as Christians, you go through a time of peace and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop for trials to come. Even that thinking is backwards. What we ought to be thinking is that God is building our faith and then he gives us a period of rest. And when he thinks this is how important we are, when he thinks our faith is ready to go to another level, he brings trials. That's a statement of honor and dignity and respect to us that he's growing us in maturity. And so don't be afraid of trials. Don't be afraid of that. Welcome them when he brings them, because that shows how he feels about you, that we're ready, all of us, to a new level, to go to a new level. This is the God that we serve. So you don't need to be afraid of this God. You don't. That's why they keep saying, do not be afraid. Because this is a God who sends his love, his mercy for thousands of generations. I love the verse because we quote the first half. He visits the sins of the fathers on the children for two or three generations. We've used that verse. I've heard that verse used so out of context so many times. Listen to the whole sentence. He, sent, he visits the sins of the fathers on the gener- for two or three generations, but he visits his loving kindness for thousands of generations. What that means, and it's fulfilled in the New Testament, what that really means is that the sin 
is insignificant compared to eternity, an eternity of love. And he, he, he really predicted this in uh, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant passage. There's two or three places where he promises what's about to happen. Okay. And so he promises that this is a glimpse of what happens when Jesus comes. This verse is, these verses are quoted by Paul. They're co- quoted in the author of Hebrews. And so this is very significant because this is the world we live in today. We call it the new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In other words, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit now telling you what's right. Telling you what's right. And as you mature in the faith, that instinct becomes more and more righteous and natural as you mature. But he goes on. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's us. Doesn't stop there. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, uh, know, say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is the promise, the glimpse, if you will, of what's coming in the future. So when we get to the New Testament, you heard Colossians read. Well, Paul says something very similar in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, 32, the last verse in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. Now think about what we just said with Joseph. He spoke to them kindly. These people who had sinned, his brothers, sinned against him so grievously, so grievously. So this is what he says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other because they apologize. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. That's not the basis for forgiveness. Forgiving each other because Christ has already forgiven you. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. You see, when Christ came, everything changed. He paid the price for our sins. So we are forgiven. And that becomes the basis for why we forgive others. Not because they're apologizing. Not because they repent. Oh, when they do, then reconciliation happens. But if they don't, we still are obligated to live that kind of life. We forgive because we are already forgiven. That's the dignity that every human has. So what is forgiveness? What actually is it? It's I've discovered over the years that very few people can really define it. Well, at one level, it's being forgiven of your sins. God does do that. But there's a very social, very horizontal aspect of forgiveness that is very important. You see what it is? It's we, we're not God. I can't forget when you hurt me. I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. Only God can forget. But here's what we can do. We can remember each other's sins. We can memorialize each other by remembering their sin. I know what you did. That's what Joseph said. I know what you did to me. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Like you, I've lived a full life. I've been laid off and fired, and every time I say, I don't know what they meant by that, but I know you, God, 
and I know you to be a good God. And every time I've been fired or laid off, guess what? Something better happened. You can believe that if you choose to. So my definition of forgiveness is when you choose to remember what somebody has done and never hold it against them. Never again. As much as is within your power. I know what you did to me, but I'm not going to penalize you. Just the opposite. I'm going to speak kindly and I'm going to show you love and grace. Because I serve God. And that's who he is. And our responsibility is to represent him to this world. And so we should be forgiving. I'm a moral person. I hope Trump dies. I had to wrestle with that. It's hard to forgive that person. Not because it doesn't matter who she puts in the name, just because of the attitude. No, she's not moral. Not at all. There's nothing moral about wishing somebody else death or dishonor our harm. There's nothing moral about that at all. You see, Christianity brings morality to the table, and it looks like this. Forgive one another because you have been forgiven. Love one another because you have loved. Bless one another because you have been blessed. Carry one another's burdens because somebody carries your burdens. That's what morality looks like. And the world can never figure that out. Every place I go in the Bible, when I compare it to the culture in which it's written, it's new. It's new. You see, the Bible is so countercultural, so new and fresh that the world never thought of it. Never. Until Christianity comes onto the table, the world, ta- the world platform. And we have a voice. Okay? But there's another reason to forgive, other than because uh, Christ has already forgiven us. There's another one. You see, John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me, and whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Now, here's the key phrase. And I will show myself to that person. Christ's decision to show himself to us is based on our obedience. How do you figure that? How does that work? It's actually quite simple. Once you have lived enough life to see it. Because when you begin to practice these disciplines right here, you know what happens? You begin to change. Just like uh, Christ, I can show myself to you any way I choose. And I don't show myself to you completely. I have sin just like you. I have dark areas. Nancy knows them. But you don't. That's, that's on purpose. We don't, want around, we don't want to run around in each other sharing our darkest sins, do we? That's one of the beautiful things about the church is we can love each other. And so I decide how much of me is going to disclose, be disclosed to you. If you want to know more of the truth, just go ask Nancy or my kids. They have my permission. They can tell you what I'm like when you're not looking. But Jesus says he will disclose himself to those who love and obey him. And again, you think, how does that work? Here's how it works. How many of you have met a person that's not very loving or forgiving? Let me see your hands. Oh, yeah, most of you. Okay, good. You're human. Okay, you meet a person that's never forgives, not very loving. They're kind of caustic. They're kind of hard. They're not very fun to be around. You know what I mean by that? Okay, it's only when you start forgiving people, not because they deserve it, 
but because of what God has done. You start forgiving people, and you know what? That is really hard, especially when they're not repentant. Especially then. It's not your job. You're not the Holy Spirit to drive them to repentance. That's the job of the Lord. That's his responsibility. Your responsibility is to love and forgive and to speak kindly. It's God's responsibility to break that hard heart. So you forgive somebody, and that's really hard. It's really hard. And then you forgive another person. That's really hard. Then you forgive another person. That's really hard. Then you forgive another person. That's really hard. And then at some point, your gaze is going to go toward the Lord. And you're going to say, is that what it was like to forgive me? And the answer is yes. It cost him his life. Forgiving you is just as important as forgiving an unrepentant heart. And it's just as difficult. But when you do it enough, you begin to slowly appreciate, genuinely, authentically appreciate forgiveness because you know how hard it is and now you can say, wow, that's what it was like to be forgiven by the Lord. Now you appreciate Jesus more than you've ever appreciated him. You see, you can't draw near to Jesus except through obeying these things because it's in the obedience, which is different from the world, where we learn what life is really like in the kingdom. I can talk about it all day long, but you're never going to experience it till you do it. I can tell you to forgive others, but you're never going to appreciate forgiveness until you start forgiving people. We could have entitled this sermon, Why Would We Want to Forgive Those why would we want to forgive our enemies? Parentheses, those who disagree with us. So if you're a Republican, why would we want to forgive one of those liberal Democrats? If you're one of those Democrats, why would we want to forgive one of those terrible Republicans? Yeah, the arguments are on both sides. I have very good, solid, evangelical friends, scholars, well-trained on both sides of this divide. On both sides. Why would we want to forgive those who disagree with us? Because it opens the door to reveal the kingdom. That's why. It just takes that door. The Holy Spirit naturally opens it. And people can say, well, I didn't expect that out of you. I expected something different based on the media stereotypes of Republicans, Democrats, Evangelicals, whatever you want to plug in there, it doesn't matter to me. You see, we serve the risen Lord Jesus, don't we? We're having a baptism right after church here, pretty quick. Five people being baptized, and I'm going to ask every one of them, do you believe in Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? I'm going to ask him that. Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to work as hard as it is, and it is very hard, trust me, to forgive everyone? So if you read the press, don't get angry at the people that think differently than you. Forgive them. Don't fall into the trap of what they're doing. Those idiots, don't do that. That just puts you in the same place they're in. This is what Christianity is all about. You see, we are very uniquely different in our belief system compared to all the other religions. So we have a chance to prove it and demonstrate it and express it and reveal it. 
I love that passage in John. It's one of Jesus' last things he said before he was crucified. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me, I shall love him, and he shall be loved by my Father, and I will reveal myself to him. The only way to experience Christ is to live it out. All the Bible study in the world, you want to experience Christ if you don't live it out. So I can tell you to forgive. I can teach you that. I can explain it. I can illustrate it. I can beg. I can plead and I can pray. But it's your choice. That's the freedom we have in Christ. You get to choose what type of heart you're going to cultivate. We're heading into a very, very tough, divisive election. You guys all know that as well as I do. This is our chance to shine. This is our moment. And and we have, after today, four more weeks, we're going to talk about different aspects of this as as we get closer to the election because I want you guys, I can't speak for the other churches, I can't speak for the rest of the world, I pray for the church, but I want you guys in Summit County to show what Christianity looks like. We can trust the Lord. We really can. Because he is actually sovereign. And he does want what's best. And he'll give it to us, what's best. And you may not agree with it. Some of you won't on November 4th. I already know that. Okay? I asked several of you last week, and and um, almost every hand went up. And I've heard from a bunch of you that you're actually doing that. And um, I read to you Nehemiah 1, his prayer of repentance. I want you to listen to, now to his second prayer in uh, Nehemiah 9. I'm not going to read you the whole prayer. It's even longer. It's worth reading, though. It's very worth reading. Um, They had come to the point where they realized that they were in sin. Again, the second time, they read the law. And so as as Ezra reads the law in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, everybody understands. So here's what it says. I'm going to read selected verses. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. It's very appropriate to say, Lord, I'm so sorry for what we've done as a nation and what I have done. I've gotten angry at people. I have cursed people. I've done all the things that you told me not to do, and I have done that. I've committed adultery. I've lusted after someone else. I've lusted after something else, and that's coveting. And I'm guilty too. So they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord, their God. Isn't that a great attitude? Isn't this a great heart to have as a church? They listened to the word and then they confessed and then they prayed and worshiped. I just think it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Then you go down a little bit more. He's praying. He says in verse 6, you are alone are the Lord. Verse 7, you are the Lord God. Then over on verse 17, he says, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert our ancestors. Then verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon our ancestors in the wilderness. Then you go on over to verse uh, 27. From heaven you heard our ancestors, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Then in verse 28, when they cried out to you, our ancestors, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. Aren't these good words? 
Verse 31, in your great mercy, you did not put an end to our ancestors or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Time after time after time, this is the God that we serve. So you've been reading Nehemiah 1, several of you, and praying, and I would ask you to continue to do that 29 more days to the election. So pray. Practice that every day. Pray. Pray and trust the Lord and cultivate that heart. So now add forgiveness to it because uh, last week it was repentance. Now add forgiveness because we have a, a God who loves us and is compassion, compassionate and merciful. So I'm going to take just a minute and I want everyone just to, if you, if you would please, just close your eyes and just tell the Lord you're sorry for what we're doing as a nation. And we want to do our part to love these people. So just take a minute. Prepare your hearts for communion. <laughs> 